This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I guess we're going to have to go to counseling. You know what I mean? I'm I'm definitely going to um seek or we're going to try to seek someone to counsel us through the process of having someone incarcerated for 27 years and you're married to that person while in prison, um, you know, that's a lot. It's, it's, it's deep. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Tall, rich, and handsome, a triple threat man. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Seems you're dying, Catherine. And need to talk about more. Tell the judge I love my wife. I'm Anna Sale. Last week, we re-ran my conversation with Lawrence Bartley, who was convicted of murder as a teenager in 1992. He's still in prison for that crime. And while there, he's become a father and gotten married to his wife, Renin. I met Renin after that episode first came out, and we've kept in touch. She's the one that told me Lawrence is going before the parole board for the first time next month. And I asked her if we could come by to hear how she's preparing for that. She was sitting outside waiting for us when we arrived, talking on her cell phone. Lawrence wants to say hi real quick. This is Lawrence? Yes! Lawrence? Are you there? Hey! How are you doing? Waiting. Yeah. While Lawrence waits, Renine is living in Queens with their sons, Lawrence III, who's now nine, and Lawson, who's four. Okay, come on in, ladies. Okay, okay I'll talk to you in a little while. Renine and her boys share a house with Lawrence's father. She still calls him Mr. Bartley because she first met him when she was a young teenager, when she and Lawrence first dated. Even when we were, like, together at 13 and 14 years old, when we had no business being together... We always talked about being married, and I guess it happened. <laughs> After years apart, Renine and Lawrence got back together and married inside Sing Sing Prison in 2006, 14 years into Lawrence's sentence. They're in their mid-40s now and talk on the phone every day. Renine juggles weekend visits with raising two kids and working full-time as a dean of discipline in a New York City school. But everything could change if the parole board lets Lawrence come home. It's going to be a transition, to say the least. We've never spent more than, what is it, 72 hours together. I'm excited, but um, a little, I'm not really worried. I think it'll work. Like, my friends always ask, my married friends are like, are you girl? Are you ready? (laughs) Because 
It's going to be different. I'm telling you now. Are you sure you're ready? But I'm not worried. I'm just maybe a little, I have a little anxiety about it a little bit because I don't know how we're going to clash because we don't really clash. Because you haven't had time to clash. Because we haven't really had time to clash. I mean, the cleaning is going to be an issue. I know that. He's <laughs> a neat freak, and I'm, like, all over the place. Maybe that's going to be one of the things that we're going to have to worry about. So how are you talking about his parole hearing right now? Um, We talk about it. It's full of excitement. But I try not to talk about it too much because I don't want to jinx it, so to speak. I don't want to, I'm not really prepared for if he, if he doesn't get released in August. Like I'm not really prepared. I tell myself I'm prepared, but I don't think I'm really prepared for it. So we just talk positive thoughts and I don't want to give him any negative energy about my feelings. Um, He did express to me the other day, he said, I will be really hurt. I will be, I'm not going to lie. I'll pick myself up. You know, afterwards, he said, but I will be crushed if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen. So, I mean, we're going to live through it if it does. Um, But we just try to focus on what he's going to do when he comes home. Like, what is it going to be like when he's here as opposed to if it doesn't work out? How are you talking to your boys about the parole hearing right now? Um, Lawrence is very, um, naive, so he doesn't really, I think, you know what, little Lawrence, the third, I don't think he, I think he knows that his father's incarcerated. I think his, his dad and, and I, um, want to tell ourselves that he doesn't really know. Um, if he knows, he doesn't know to like, I I don't think it's registering there, even though he's nine, Um, I don't think it's like registering with him, but he knows that dad's coming home soon. Like dad's coming to live with us. Lawson, the little one, the little rascal, (laughs) he, you know, he has no clue about it. I think um, after the parole hearing and once we know that he is going to be released, then we'll start to have the conversation of dad is definitely coming home on, you know, this date or whatever. How are you preparing? Like, are you involved with preparing his case or his argument for parole? Um, He's working with these lovely young ladies. Um, They're helping him um, prepare his parole packet. Um, it's already prepared, basically. He's waiting for all of the letters from us, which I already submitted a, a letter, but I had to do some um, some fixing to make it sound more personalized. Um, <laughs> you were all business. I was all business. My point was I didn't want to seem too subjective and not... Um, and not have sympathy for the victims that were involved in the case. You don't want to push too much because it's like, well, you're pushing a little bit too much for someone who did something really, really bad, you know? So I I feel like I'm a little stuck for sticking up for my husband. Um, But I guess it's supposed to be subjective because he's my husband. (laughs) So I'm working on that now. so that's how I'm I'm helping him. He said it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. If Lawrence is released, do mm-hmm. you know if you'll have support as a family with the reentry process? 
Um, you know, there are a lot of re-entry programs um, out there, but the re-entry programs that are out there are not set up for people who have a family to come to that I guess they would consider us not struggling. Let me just put it that way. They wouldn't consider us like really struggling. Well, your wife is making almost six figures a year. Um, I mean, what more re-entry can we, <laughs> how else can we help you out? Um, I would love for some type of re-entry program that focuses on the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask yeah. about. Yeah. Because what do you do? How many people really make it when, you know, when the husband comes home? I, I mean... Um, a lot of people who are released, we know they're they're not with they're not with each other anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. There's been a few that are not with um the the wife or the girlfriend or whatever you know you have it. They're not together. Some do they make it? Yes. Some make it, but I think the ones who make it are the ones who are more stabilized. Um. I think the ones who make it are the ones who have more of a realistic expectation, so to speak. You're not going to just snap your fingers and then everything is going to happen. It's 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 a process. Do you and Lawrence talk about what he might do? Oh, Lawrence is going to do about 40 or 50 different things until mm. he until two or three stick. Um he definitely wants to pursue real estate. Huh. Um, and he already checked out like the licensing and everything like that, being that he is a convicted felon, he can get the license. Do you feel like he feels pressure to earn? Absolutely. That's all he talks about. All he talks about is um, dealing, I mean, taking care of his family. He has to make up for so much lost time. You know what I mean? Um, and he definitely wants to provide for us. And I'm definitely willing to accept it. Do you worry that he's putting too much pressure on himself? Um, right out of, right in the middle of this transition? Um, No. Lawrence is like, he's just different. I just call him different. I, I, he's different. Um, he's accomplished so much um, being incarcerated that uh, it's it's unacceptable for him to fail. Like it's something that we we have high expectations and we just can't fail at at anything. So he has conviction. Um, I think he's mature enough to handle, and I think he's he he's realistic in the sense of what it is that he's going to. He he knows he's gonna have doors shut in his face all the time. It's like it's gonna be. It's just gonna happen. It's a it's a fact. Um, but as far as him feeling pressure, pr pressure motivates him. Pressure, it really, it gives him the motivation to do what people think that he can't do. Coming up, all the tiny details Renine is wondering about should Lawrence get out, including what he might wear 
if he doesn't have to wear a prison uniform. Well, one thing that's definitely out is skinny jeans. <laughs> Lawrence will not be caught in skinny jeans. I want to tell you about a new podcast that's produced inside a prison. At San Quentin in California, inmates Antoine Williams and Erlon Woods are hosting a new show called Ear Hustle, made with the help of a radio producer on the outside. They're telling stories about the relationships inside prisons, between roommates or cellies, and even about pets in prison. The first critter I had in prison was a moth, and I only had it for a day because I had a cellie who came back and killed it when I went to the yard and left it on the floor. And yes, this show is produced from the same prison where our previous guest, Mandy Howard, works as a guard. The show is called Ear Hustle, brought to you by Radiotopia. The Death, Sex, and Money team will also be talking about our favorite podcast and the making of our recent series about student debt at an event next week in New York City. We're joining the New York Times Podcast Club the evening of Monday, July 24th. Producer Katie Bishop and composer and sound designer Andrew Dunn will be there. You can watch the whole thing on Facebook Live. Look for info on our Facebook page. I'll be joining that event via Skype because I'm working for a bit from Wyoming this summer. So listeners in Wyoming and Montana, tell me where you are. I want to find a place for some of us to meet up sometime the last week of July. If you're up for the idea, email me and tell me where you live and I'll make a plan. Our email is deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode, comedian Jeff Garland. He talks about filming Curb Your Enthusiasm as he was recovering from a stroke and about how he thinks about sex in his 50s. I'm hesitating because I don't have much sex. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't in my 40s either. And to me, sex is so magical and so special. Sex is the one thing more than any others that makes you feel human. Mm. Human, man. So I feel human in other ways. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that. 
and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Renine and Lawrence got married before they decided to have kids. Starting a family was a decision they made together. But obviously, a lot of the parenting has fallen solely on Renine. I don't know if you remember from the the interview that you had with him, I consider myself half a single parent. Yeah. So, you know, I make the decisions, like, bottom line. I, I mean, do I consult with him? Absolutely. You know, that makes the relationship work. That makes him feel involved. But... I'm the boss. Like, in my head, I'm the boss. I like to make him believe, like, when I'm speaking to him, that, you know, he's the boss. But at the end of the day, (laughs) you know, I am making all of these adult decisions. Do you think he'll be a different kind of parent when he's parenting on a daily basis? I think that um, it's going to be better. He's in for a big surprise because I am letting go. (laughs) I'm letting go in the sense of of all the little things that the mommies do. Like, I'm not taking them to birthday parties. He's going to have to figure that out. Um, Lawrence is a phenomenal dad. Like, my kids look so forward to spending time with their dad. Um, just yesterday when we were, I was saying, are you guys, I was trying to go on a visit by myself, but they both, like, jumped out of bed and was like, I'm going, I'm coming, I'm going to dad's. Um, I think that he'll be able to he'll be able to be more involved his presence is going to make it even better when you think about what you're most excited to do with Florence right after he gets out what do you picture okay so what i would like to do is spend the night away from home but i don't know if parole is going to allow for that because they have a curfew So I don't know if we can spend the night, but one of my greatest desires is so simple to sleep and wake up without being interrupted. Because when we go on um, the conjugal visits, that he has to wake up at like, we, they do it at 10. They have to do the count at 10 o'clock and then at five o'clock in the morning. And we try to stay up so that we can <laughs> optimize on our time. So I just want to sleep next to him and not have a time to wake up. That's all we've come up with so far. It changes. Every other week it changes. Are there parts of him being in your physical space that you're nervous about? Yeah, I'm the what I'm very self-conscious about my body. I'm so I get I don't know if every woman goes through this or not. You know, being in my 40s and um I just feel like I've lost that it factor. Like, you know, I don't like being the overweight 40 something year old mom. 
but just walking around the house and having him look at me. I want him to desire, you know, like what he's seeing. And of course, he's never going to say he doesn't. Um, He's trained like that. He knows better than that. But I never want him to feel unattracted to me. You know, I want to, we didn't, get that time. We didn't get the sexy time together on the outside. So I want to keep it sexy until like my 90s. (laughs) So I'm hoping that by the time he comes home that I'll have (laughs) that I'll have it together. When when do you allow yourself to think about the possibility that he might not come home? I don't. I don't. It's something that um, I refuse to think about. I, I know, I mean, it, it's probably not um, the brightest thing to do, to not prepare yourself mentally for it. Um, but I don't. I believe, um, you know, I believe in a higher power. I believe that um, he deserves at this point to come home. It can happen. It's out of his hands. Like, no matter what he does or shows, at the end of the day, it's up to the people who are on that board. Do you have a sense of, do you know what Lawrence is afraid of about coming home? I think he's fearful of people thinking that he's the same Lawrence that he was when he was 16. Um, You know, I run into people every now and again that know him. And, you know, sometimes I get the sense that they think that he's like this popular street guy that um, has what we call street credibility, but he's so not that person. I would say that I'm more street than Lawrence now. Like, um, I think that's his greatest fear Um, that he doesn't want the reputation that he had going in when he comes out. That's Renine Bartley. After her husband Lawrence has his interview with the parole board next month, it'll be a few days before he finds out whether he's being released. He'll get a letter hand-delivered to his cell. Either way, you get a letter either way, so you have to open that letter. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Special thanks to Stephanie Joyce for her help on this episode. Our interns are Mankapur Conte and Kent McDonald. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And we have a weekly newsletter, and you should get it. If you're not already, subscribe by going to deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. While we were at Renine's house, her boys were at school. But Renine told us her oldest, little Lawrence, was really bummed that he missed us. He was like, so you're doing an interview. What is it about? I was like, oh, it's just about me and your dad and the family. You know, we'll probably talk about you guys. He said, well, I want to be there. I said, well, you can't be there. Well, I can just listen from upstairs. I don't have to be involved. I can just listen from upstairs. I said, no, you're going to school. Get out of here. 
I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.